Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham Scott alongside, as always, hello, Scott. Sean, hi. How's it going, buddy? Dude, it is a hot day in October. It is very warm weather here in the nation's capital. Doesn't really feel like curling weather, but here we are. You know, we were were all psyched about, uh, you know, our chilly autumn nights and our, our hoodies yeah, <laughs> and now now I'm out there sweating again. Uh, Got to wear shorts around the house, so you know, I I like it when it's warm. I don't like being cold, but I also really don't like being hot. Yeah, yeah, so, that west that west coast. That's probably where I should be. Hey, yeah, that nice consistent weather. You know, have it all governed by the Pacific Ocean. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, we'll we'll see about that. But uh, we had a we had a nice uh, weekend. Saw you over the weekend for Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, it was a, a nice affair. It was very well put together by uh, by your household. I very much appreciated the invite and enjoyed it. Yeah, no it was, problem, no problem. It was uh, it was fun. I I cooked the turkey. Uh, mm-hmm. I did it all myself, and I think it turned out well. Yeah, it was delicious, and uh, I had my leftovers yesterday. They're quite nice. Mm, very good, very and good. You, I you, think you baked a pie. Yeah, sweet potato pie. Yeah, I was very impressed. I want to hear out there from all the people that really hate uh, <laughs> hate sweet potato pie or think pumpkin pie is so great. Well, sweet potato pie is where it's at. I mean, pumpkin pie is great. Uh, I very much enjoy it, and uh, but I enjoyed your pie as well. Thanks, man. It was a a very nice sweet potato pie, not too sweet. Not too sweet. That's Very the key. well balanced. Yeah. So, uh, so that was the weekend. Hope everyone had a great long weekend out there. If you're in Canada, and if you're not, I hope you had a fun weekend. Uh, whatever it is you were doing, I should note too. If I sound a little differently, it's because uh, I had a bit of an incident uh, at my apartment where there was uh, construction all day, so it was already loud. And then uh, when I plugged something in, uh, the circuit breaker just gave, and I don't have access to the room to fix that on my own. So waiting for that to be fixed. So I'm in an undisclosed location, which, as, as, as far as it sounds to me, might as well be at the end of a runway for how loud the fan is in this room. <laughs> Oh, wow. I, I, I can't hear it. So, all right. Well, that's good. So, uh, so we are here and, and I rushed over to this undisclosed location because we really wanted to talk about the Grand Slams returning, Scott, the 2021-2022 season. They are heading back out on the road for the Masters, which kicks off next week. And we wanted to, to talk about this. It's uh, going to be in Oakville. And Oakville is hosting all the events uh, early in the season. Uh, they yeah. just had the Stu Cells Toronto in Oakville after the Stu Cells Oakville was in Oakville a few weeks ago. Uh, so Oakville is the center of the curling world here for a little bit. And uh, some changes to the field here, Scott. But before we get into the specifics, what are you looking forward to or are you looking forward to the return of the slams? I think, yeah, I think I'm looking forward to curling on my tv that's scheduled i think i the streaming has been great but i'll i'll be honest it's it's more of a do i remember that there's something streaming on 
Right. Uh, even today, like maybe this is just me uh, getting old, but uh, you said something about the baseball game, and I I thought, oh yeah, there's a baseball game on. Like I didn't even know. Right. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm busy working all week, but you know, I, maybe I should know that there's a baseball game on. I love baseball so much. So uh, maybe that's me, but I find it hard sometimes to remember all of this, all of the streaming events that are on. Uh, and I, I did tune in for a bit on the weekend to, to watch some of it, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it being on, on regular TV where a lot of people will be seeing it and talking about it and not just the, the great tight knit curling community, but maybe a little bit of a wider reach. Yeah. Well, I wonder about that with one of the things about the slams is that it was more stuff on TV, but as the teams and other services get better and better, I mean, Colin was on the call this weekend in Oakville and he did a, he did a really good job and it was a smooth setup. So you wonder if some of the appeal, frankly, of the slams is gone given that so many of the teams who are playing in say the stew cells are going to stick around. Maybe they'll go home. I don't know, but they're be back in Oakville for this event coming up. Like you can get these top level events. I mean, the event out West, the final this week was Cooey against Jacobs. Like like that's the sort of thing that the slams would say, Hey, tune in. This is where you're going to watch this. But that game was streamed. It was readily available. So the appeal of the slams it almost is somewhat diluted as more and more of these types of games are available. And I know they're meaningful to the players. They do matter to the players. There's a lot of money at stake, but for the average fan, it's, it's even less apparent now what distinguishes this type of event from these other events that we see on sewer, other than it's in an arena and it's being produced by Sportsnet. Yeah, I think you're right. The streaming setup has gotten really, really good and uh it's it's a professional level broadcast yeah uh without camera people on the ice i would say the the thing i'm looking forward to then with the sportsnet coverage is being able to switch games being able to yeah uh, get updates go around the sheets as they like to do uh, on sportsnet because i find if you get a streaming game that's on the sheet that's designed for streaming and it's not very good. Uh, there are limited options to to switch. Yeah, that's it. That's the end of the the draw, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so they have changed the format ever so slightly. The the most minor of tweaks <laughs> to the Masters. Uh, instead of the typical thirty teams, fifteen men's, fifteen women's, with three pools of five doing round robin, they have added one men's team and one's women's team to get us to 32. And they're going to do a ABC draw. So the triple knockout. Now here's my frustration with when the slams do this, because they, they present it as, Oh, this is so different. This is the, a, a way to differentiate this event. Like the Canadian open has always had the triple knockout, but it's not really a triple knockout because you use ABC to get you to the traditional eight team quarter final bracket. So it's the exact same as the normal spiels because in the round robin, if you go two and two, you're going to get at least a tiebreaker out of that. So Mm -hmm. just don't lose three games before the playoffs in the normal spiel. You get something that's the same thing here. Once you lose the third one, you're out. So it doesn't really change all that much other than you don't know who you're going to play and when you are going to play, that's going to be governed by the results. But otherwise I, I don't find 
the triple knockout that interesting compared to the round robin, given that it just leads us to the same playoff format? Yeah, if it if it led us to maybe a semifinal, like a four team, you know, a B, a versus B in the sort of one two page. Yeah, and then the the two C qualifiers in the in the three four game. Yep that that would be much more exciting i agree yeah the a teams don't really get anything out of finishing a right just get some time to sit around yeah which you could argue might even be bad if it's too early yeah it's like a full i think it's a full day off day yeah earlier yeah yeah so yeah it might not be not be ideal to come out the a side yeah so uh, so there you have it. That's the new format for it. Let's just run through the teams real quick. We're not going to get too in-depth about it, but we'll start on the men's side. We got Brendan Botcher, Peter DeCruz, Matt Dunstone, Nicholas Adine, John Epping, Jason Gunlickson, Brad Gushu, Brad Jacobs, Kevin Cooey, Yuta Matsumura, Mike McEwen, Bruce Mowat, Ross Patterson, Rich Ruinen, Yannick Schwaller, and Ross White. Scott, what stands out to you? of this field if anything i think the inclusion of ross white and their team as a, a slam team you know they're they're really good yeah <laughs> they're, they're really good and i they weren't sort of in the company of the slam teams the last time we had a full grand slam season so i'm interested to see them and how they'll perform they've got a tough a tough bracket really uh playing gushu in their first game and then Epping and Schwaller, they'll meet the winner of that one should they should they win. So pretty tough, tough road there. But uh, I'm, I'm interested to see them. What uh, what about you? I, I'm excited that Yuta's in this. Uh, that yeah. he, he gets the invite. Uh, I, I really like that team. They're always a lot of fun. Uh, so I want to see how he stacks up to this level of competition. I uh, had a up and down week at the Worlds back in the spring. So I think that'll be fun. And then just as, as Jonathan and Ryan talked about on their most recent episode, just the international flavor of this that and we'll, we'll talk mm-hmm. about it more so when we get to the women's field. But as we continue to go along here and we'll I'll point this out in the second half of the show, like this is a much more international field than we've ever seen in the slams. And I, I think that's a good thing. And it's, it's fun to see all these teams. But I think it also speaks to the concentration of talent at the top of the Canadian game right now that you have so many teams internationally that can earn these points. Even a team like Utah, who doesn't come as much as, say, Nicodine and play in Canada, that they mm-hmm. can a- acquire those points, which also sort of speaks well to the tour and the points available in Asia right now. But that's just one of those things that uh, it'll be curious to see sort of how he stacks up and, and where we go in the next quad if we continue to see this concentration or if some guys will go skip their own teams. Yeah, yeah. Um, fully half of the field in this this event is uh, from outside of Canada. So, yeah, good to see that. Yeah, and uh, more so on the women's side. So it, let, let's talk about that. You got Carrie Anderson, Tracy Fleury, Satsuki Fujisawa, Unji Gim, uh, one of the South Korean teams, Anna Hasselberg, Rachel Homan, Jennifer Jones, Unjung Kim, Minji Kim, Tori Koana, Alina Kovaleva, Tabitha Peterson, Kelsey Rock, Sylvana Tiranzoni, Isabella Rana, and Sayaka Yoshimura. So a really international field here. Is that four Canadian teams, Scott? Five? Yeah, I'm counting 
11 international teams. So yeah, five Canadian. That's uh, so that's pretty good. Like you got three South Korean teams here. You have two Japanese teams, uh, two Swedish teams. Uh, This is a very international field and it shows depth on the women's side, not just internationally, but within each of these countries, you get a lot of depth. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to see too, because we've talked a lot about, you know, Sweden maybe being a one team deep uh, country. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Pacific Asia nations that we, we've known have been deep for a while. It's nice yeah. to see those uh, extra players or extra teams in this event. Yeah. I, I, I'm thinking it's, uh, it's pretty, pretty good. Good for the yeah. game. And, and think who's not here too, right? You don't have a Scottish team on the women's side. Right? Even mm-hmm. your head's not going to play in this. And then uh, Han Yu, who represented China, of course, China. in yeah. the Worlds, who is widely regarded as a very strong up-and-coming team, they're also not here. So you just, again, you see the depth in the women's game internationally. It's great to see. Yeah, for sure. All right. So, Scott, I was wondering over the weekend, as, as one does, thinking about what is important this year. And we've talked on the show a lot about how the game really is focused around the Olympic cycle and the quadrennial and teams are focused on being in position every four years to win the Olympic gold medal. So it made me think like, what, what is the purpose of the slams this year? Obviously money and high level games for fans, they are entertaining, but in terms of the Olympics, is there any sort of a correlation between success in the slams in an Olympic year? And then what happens at the Olympics? So I went back and I looked at what happened in the fall of 2017, as we geared up for those 2018 Olympic Games. And uh, I went through the, the four events that took place and some interesting results, potentially. Uh, now, the first thing I noticed is very can- Canadian heavy, uh, mm-hmm. it's, you know, compared to what we got now. Like the, it, it, Maybe we don't notice it because we just sort of see this evolution and every event of the slams here and there. Oh, here's another international team. Oh, like this team's really good. Uh, mm-hmm. So that now they're here, but to see it th- this stark, you know, the tour challenge, which was the first event, first event in 2017, I believe there was like four or five European teams. Bing Yu Wang was there. I think was the only Asian team in the tier one. Mm-hmm. So just a huge shift in where we were four years ago on international representation. That's the first thing that really stood out to me. Okay. And it, I mean, there could be, I, I think we're going to get to this with the third one uh, during Euros, but, you know, there could be some uh, events in uh, the Asian region during that time too that could, yeah. you know, maybe hinder somebody from participating, but it's definitely different than what we're seeing uh, in the upcoming events. Yeah. So overall, I went through and on the men's side of the 10 teams who played in the Olympic Games, you had... Let's see, two, four, six, seven of them participated in at least one Grand Slam. On the women's side of those 10 teams, you had seven of them participate in at least one Grand Slam. So I went through and I just put together their results over the course of the Slam. So let's start with the Tour Challenge. This was the first event, which, God help us, was in September. Um, Yeah. Thank goodness we don't have that anymore uh, for a major event early in the season. So the Tour Challenge took place in September of 2017. So let's start on the men's side. Kevin Cooey went one and three and missed the playoffs. John Schuster, three and one, lost the quarterfinals to Brad Jacobs. Nicholas Adine, 
went two and two, lost the semifinal game to Stefan Wallstead. Peter Cruz went one and three and missed the playoffs. And if you're curious, Brad Gushu won this event beating Stefan Wallstead. So none of the Olympic team very well. Nick Dean was the best, but his overall record was three and three in this event, if you include the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So nothing great there. Uh, on the women's side, you have similar mixed results. Anna Hasselberg lost the final to Val Sweeting. Rachel Holman missed the playoffs. Eve Muirhead went two and two, had to go through a tiebreaker, and eventually loses to Hasselberg. Terenzoni lost a quarterfinal to Hasselberg. And uh, Bing Yu Wang missed the playoffs going one and three. Now, interesting, Nina Roth and Kim Eun-jung were in the Tier 2 events, and Nina Roth mm-hmm. missed the playoffs, and Kim Eun-jung went two and two and lost to Kelsey Rock in a tiebreak there. So you don't have a lot of success here in this initial tour challenge on any of the men's or women's teams who would go on to represent their country. Now, I should note that not all of these teams knew necessarily that they were going to represent their countries, mm-hmm. but it's kind of interesting just to look at what their season was like in the slams before. Yeah. So at this point, you know, Rachel Holman doesn't know that she's going to the Olympics. Probably Sylvana Tiranzoni and Peter de Cruz uh, aren't sure at this point still. So, yep. but, but these others, I mean, Nicholas Adine knows he's going. Yep. Uh, Anna Hasselberg presumes that she's going. I think there was a playoff, but uh, yeah. they won pretty handily. So, yeah. I think Bing Yu Wang knew at this point. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, we, we don't see, you know, anybody dominating to a win. A couple semifinalists there um, and, and ha- Anna Hasselberg in the finals. So, to, to me, this seems okay. Well, this is a very small sample size. So, yeah. all right, let's, so let's continue. Yeah. So, let's move on to the Masters. This was at the end of October, same time of year as we're going to have this upcoming one next week. So, run through this real quick. Uh, on the men's side, Peter de Cruz lost the quarterfinal to Gushu. Kevin Cooey lost the semifinal to Gushu. Nicholas Adine lost the final to Gushu. That's a good run for Brad Gushu there. Uh, John Schuster and Kyle Smith missed the playoffs. And Thomas Ulsrud, he lost the tiebreaker to Mike McEwen. And so Gushu, as mentioned, beats Nicholas Dean in the final for his second consecutive Grand Slam championship there in the fall of 2017. Over on the women's side, Anna Hasselberg lost to Jennifer Jones in the semis. Rachel Holman missed the playoffs again. Eve Muirhead lost the semifinal to Carrie Anderson. And Terenzoni lost the quarterfinal to Carrie Anderson. So Jennifer Jones ends up winning that event, beating Carrie Anderson in the final. So again, you have some pretty mixed results. None of these Olympic teams are running through the field at all. Kevin Cooey did go 4-0 through his round robin. But again, nothing really stands out in terms of the playoffs or, or getting to the championship. Again, we have one of the Olympic teams in the final, but that's it. Right, right. Sure, sure think uh, Brad Gushu's got to be a favorite for the old Canadian. Yeah, right? We would have been thinking, oh, my Olympic Brad, bid. Yeah, Brad Gushu's on fire. Hottest team. So then the National was the event that took place uh, November 14, 2019. Now, what's interesting about the National is that this took place during the European Championship. So yes. you don't have a lot of European representation. You have some, but not nearly as much. So in this event, you have... Uh, Kim Chang Min, the South Korean men's team, they participate in the national. 
they go three and one and actually get to the final, losing to Bruce Mowat, who was not Team Scotland uh, or Team Great Britain at the Olympics. So they were able to play in this. And then Kevin Cooey actually lost to Mowat in the quarterfinal. So here we have Mowat with a, a win. On the women's side, Rachel Holman loses to Casey Scheidegger in a quarterfinal, and Bing Yu Wang misses the playoffs. So again, small sample size. This field, if you go through this field, it, it's more of a tier two type event because you are missing so many of the top teams. Yeah, yeah. And it makes sense to, you know, that these other teams would go and play Euros. That's that's the more important one for them. So yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. All right. So last one, Canadian Open in January of 2018. So this is the last big event before the Olympic Games. And Scott, we have our first Olympic team winning a Grand Slam. That's Peter de Cruz. They come out of the B-side qualifier. They beat Nicholas Adin in the final. Of course, Nicholas Adin loses the final, so it was an all-Olympic final there. You have Kevin Cooey losing to Nick Adin in the semifinal. Then Kim Cheng Min misses the playoffs, as does John Schuster and Thomas Ulsrud. Over on the women's side, you have Kim Unjung. Uh, sorry, Unjung Kim. She loses to Chelsea Carey in a semifinal. Anna Hasselberg misses the playoffs. Bit of a shocker there. Uh, Rachel Holman loses to Unjun Kim in the quarterfinals. Nina Roth misses the playoffs, and Sylvana Tiranzoni loses to Jennifer Jones in the final. And the final ultimately is Chelsea Carey beating Michelle Englott there for the title. So those are the uh, four events that take place prior to the Olympic Games. So, Scott, I want to just run through the records of each of these teams to see if there's any correlation between how they performed in the slams leading into the Olympics and then the Olympics themselves. Yes, let's hear it. All right, so overall, Kevin Cooey in the round robin of the slams goes 11-6, and 2-3 and three in the playoffs for a total of 13-9. and nine. And in the Olympic Games, he goes six and three, uh, six and five overall. If you count the 0 and 2 in the playoffs, finishes in fourth place. So, Scott, I would say that 13 and nine, and then six and three, a slightly better percentage there at the six and three. Uh, so, he kind of outperformed what he did in the slams when he went to the Olympics, despite the disappointing fourth place finish. Well, I mean, if you count the playoffs, which I think you should, 13 and nine versus six and five. Yeah, okay, that's I would true. Say, I would say no, he didn't perform better. <laughs> All right. So an underperformance there from what we expected. John Schuster, of course, this is going to stand out. Uh, John Schuster goes six and seven round robin, 0 and 1 in his lone playoff appearance for a total of six and eight at those slams. Of course, that five and four during the round robin of the Olympics and runs through the playoffs for the gold medal. So it, it's interesting. Like he, he goes six and eight in the slams and then has that five and four in the round robin. I mean, it's, it's an over uh, of what he did during the slams, but not by much if we're looking just at the round robin. Not by much, no. And then but we all know the story of, uh, of Catch and Fire. Yeah. And uh, so I, I would say he overperformed his slams. Well, yeah, absolutely he did. It'd be, hard, uh, it'd be hard to not when you win a gold medal. Yeah, and considering, again, he was under 500 in the slams that year uh nicholas adine he goes eight and five round robin five and three in the playoffs during the slams for a total of 13 and eight and he was in first place 
after the round robin at the Olympics going seven and two. That was a really bunched field too at the yeah. Olympics. Uh, and of course, Nicholas Dean uh, won the semifinal, lost the final to John Schuster for the second place. So that's about even in terms of performance, would you say? Yeah, that's what I'd say about about even. Okay. Uh, Peter DeCruz, the lone Grand Slam champion who participated in the Olympic Games, six and eight in the round robin, great four and one record in the playoffs. Uh, 10 and seven overall, but I mean, it also means he missed the playoffs once. So not great. Uh, so overall mm-hmm. 10 and seven, he went five and four in the round Robin had to come through a tiebreaker against Kyle Smith to eventually win the gold medal. So the total record at the Olympics was seven and five. So that's about the same too, kind of around even, uh, with a hair over 500. Yeah, yeah, and you said the gold medal, Sean. He he came through to win the bronze medal. Yes. Oh, excuse me. Yes, he yes. did. Uh, yeah, this isn't the high jump where we're just like, hey, you both want one? Sure. Uh, even though that was the moment of the Olympics for me. Uh, Kyle Smith, he only played in one event. He goes one and three and missed the playoffs. He went five and four in the Olympic Games, lost that tiebreaker game to Peter DeCruz. I don't know, Scott, do we make anything of that one and three appearance? I, I've noted that that is not statistically significant. <laughs> okay, fair. NSS. Yes. That. Um, Thomas Ulsrud, he goes three and four in round robin play, 0 and 1 in the playoffs, 3 and 5 overall during the slams, and 4 and 5 in the Olympic Games for a sixth place finish. And that's about even compared to what oh, yeah. he did in the, the slams to what he did in the Olympics. And then mm-hmm. Kim Chang Min, he goes four and four around Robin, two and one in the playoffs to get to that final for a six and five overall record, four and five in the Olympics. So about the same, but maybe slightly underperform in the Olympics compared to the slams. He did get into that final. Now that was the final without Euro players, but still mm-hmm. it's a final. But still, yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. So uh, on the women's side. Anil Hasselberg goes eight and five round robin, three and two during the playoffs for an 11 and seven record during the slam season. Seven and two in the Olympic game round robin, of course, wins the gold medal. So an overall nine and two record there. Uh, so very much overperformed compared to the slam season. I'd say so. Rachel Holman goes eight and seven during the round robin, 0 and two in her two playoff appearances for an eight and nine record. And goes four and five at the Olympics, of course, for that very surprising sixth place finish. About even then, right? Her her slam season kind of predicted uh, what what she did in the Olympics. I mean, yeah, it didn't predict what she did in the in the trials, but no, yeah, it uh, is about the same one one game under five hundred for both. Yeah, uh, Eve Muirhead goes five and three in the round robin, three and two in the playoffs. For an eight and five total, she goes six and three during the round robin, but loses her two playoff games at the Olympic Games for six and five overall for a fourth place finish. That's uh, disappointing, I think, uh, given the the success she had during the week there in Korea. Yeah, I, I would say it's an underperformance of her uh, slams record. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, and then we got Sylvana Tirandoni, eight and five made three playoffs in the slams, but lost all those games. So she ends up with an eight and eight record in the slam season, four and five and a seventh place finish in the Olympic games. Yeah. But about the same uh, performance, this, this is before uh, joining forces with uh, 
Elena Pats. Elena Pats. Yeah. So uh, when you look at Tiranzoni's record and see four and five, and you think, really, that's the team that has been so dominant the last yeah. two or three years. Yeah. And yeah, it, it it was a different team. So. For sure. Yeah. Uh, then Bingyu Wang, she's two and six during the slams. Did not make a playoff appearance. It was four and five for a fifth place finish at the Olympic Games. That might be an over. It's a bit slight overperformance of what she did in the slams, but you know, it's, you miss the playoffs. You miss the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, slight over though. Uh, maybe you know the the veteran yeah. of the field. You know, people maybe snuck up on a couple teams, but yeah. uh, slight overperformance. Yeah, uh, Nina Roth goes three and six in her slam appearances. Did not make the playoffs. She goes four and five during the Olympics for an eighth place finish. About the same. Yeah, about what you'd expect. And then Unjung Kim, five and four in the two or in her slams, one and two in her playoffs for a six and six total, and then just ran through the field in the Olympics, going eight and one, finishing first at the end of the round. Robin, of course, lost that gold medal game to Anna Hasselberg for a silver medal. And that was uh, the surprise of the Olympics, I think, there, Scott. So a definite overachievement compared to the slams. Yeah, I'll say, I'll say it must have been something in the water there in, in <laughs> Korea, playing on home soil. Yeah, uh, really, really inspired. I vaulted them to that uh, amazing record. Yeah. So overall, Scott, are there any takeaways here from you? So I've put this all in a spreadsheet that, that you've been able to look at. Is mm-hmm. there any takeaway? Is there a correlation between these pre-Olympic slams and what could happen once we get to February in Beijing? Uh, to, to me, it seems kind of random and that there's not enough of a sample size. Okay. Uh, it'll, well, what we'll do this fall, you know, is we will keep track of the records uh, of the teams or go back once the field is determined for the Olympics and see how they performed in the slams and see if we can try to use that to predict anything for the games, for the, the Beijing games. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to say. I, I mean, we had some underperforming, some overperforming. Mostly teams were, were about on line with how they performed in, in the slams. But uh, like you say, that there's much more international competition at the slams now. Yep. Like I said earlier, you know, boy, I would have picked uh, Gushu and Jones if I was yeah. only picking based on this performance, who would win the Canadian berths. And obviously that wasn't the case. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not prepared to make any declarations right now. All right. And I think that's fair. So for me, it's it's interesting now that uh, Jennifer Jones and Brad Gushu won two slams each in the lead up to the trials. Uh, so they yeah. both won theirs before the Canadian Open in January. So they won two leading into those trials, which were here in Ottawa, of course, in 2017. And yeah, if we had been doing the show at the time, I'm sure we would have been very bullish on Jennifer Jones and Brad Gushu because of that. Uh, both of them lost in the semifinals at the trials, Jones to Holman and uh, Gushu to McEwen. McEwen. So it, it's one of these things where yeah, maybe that doesn't necessarily mean as much uh, in terms of who wins necessarily, but I will note that the the records correlate slightly. I think there's there's a stronger correlation of records than I would have expected of what they did in the slams to what they did in the Olympics. And 
again, the sample size of that is probably not big enough to actually matter. It's just sort of a curious thing that, that I'll be interested to track as we go through the fall. And then when we get into the Olympics again in February to see if we see a similar thing happen this year, because maybe then we would have a trend line that we could potentially use moving forward. Yeah, we can uh, definitely graph that up and uh, put it on a chart, get an R squared regression analysis going. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah, yeah. But uh, for now, I don't think we have enough sample. But yeah, by the time the Olympics come, that'll be pretty good. Yeah, so just some food for thought there uh, when we look at what happened in 2017 as we watch here going forward in the Slam Scott. You know what this means, though? Tell me. It's time for picks. Oh, boy. All right, so what we'll do for the Slams this year. Do you want to do it the same way, or do we want to change it up a bit? Um, well, why don't you remind everyone, definitely not me, uh, what we've done in the past years, and then we will uh, make a determination on that. All right. So in the past, we have picked, I believe, three teams each for the events. And uh, if your team makes the playoffs, it's worth a point. If your team wins, it's worth an additional point. And then at the end of the season, we tally it all up and see who ended up with the most points. Yeah, I, I still like that. I, I mean, we've got, what, eight teams making the playoffs. We're only picking three. Yeah. Now you have so to that, declare a winner too. You have you to do your, have to declare your winner. declared winner has to win, not just one of the teams you pick for the playoffs. So the way that I see we've done it is that we've had we pick a winner and then we pick three more. Oh, four total. So four people in total. Okay. All right. Well, uh, let's kick this off. I'll go first then, Scott, and I'll start on the women's side. I will go with Carrie Anderson and Rachel Homan and Sylvana Tiranzoni to make the playoffs, but give me, I'm going to go maybe a little off the board here and go Elena Kovaleva to win this Grand Slam to kick us off. So, Elena Kovaleva. Uh, so, you're picking Kovaleva to win Tiranzoni, yeah. Holman, and Anderson? Yes. As my playoff teams. Okay. Okay, well, uh, sheesh, uh, you've really put me on the spot here. Give me Anna Hasselberg to win. Okay. Because, obviously. <laughs> and let me just take a look at these women's teams again. Uh, Tabitha Peterson playing pretty well. Uh, Kelsey Rock playing well. Kovalev you've got there. Tiranzoni. Uh, I'm going to go with... Minji Kim. Okay. Uh, as another playoff team. Uh, give me Fujisawa and give me Jones. Okay. All right. Jennifer Jones. I'm, I'm typing these into a sheet if you're wondering <laughs> why, why it's making me, why I'm sounding so slow. You're being very deliberative in who you want to pick. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right, uh, over on the men's side, give me Cooey to make the playoffs along with Matt Dunstone, Brendan Botcher, and following up their win this week, give me Gushu to get another win in Oakville this time in the first Grand Slam of the 2021-2022 season. Well, Sean, we spend all that time talking about what a great international 
representation we have. <laughs> and then you go and pick four Canadian teams. Uh, sure. Oh boy. Oh boy. All right. Uh, for my playoffs, uh, I'm going to go with Brad Jacobs to make the playoffs. I like Ross White to come out of that B side or C side. Uh, Gushu again to make the playoffs and give me Bruce Mowat. Okay. Moat. Matt. I spelled it wrong. <laughs> yeah. I, I like that Scottish team. Wow. All right. I did it again. Anyway. All right. So there it is. Uh, those are our picks for the masters uh just a, a couple quick notes here before we wrap this week uh just alluded to it a couple results from the weekend kevin cooey won the event in it's the ig wealth management western showdown he beat brad jacobs in the final bit of a route uh winning eight to one in the final there so congratulations to them uh tabitha peterson and her team won the Autumn Gold Curling Classic, first time in that event's 43-year history that an American team comes out on top. So yeah. uh, exciting times, certainly there for uh, Team Peterson. And then mentioned it that Team Gushu was able to win the Stu Sells Toronto Tankard, which took place at the Oakville Curling Club. Uh, so congratulations to them, uh, they beat John Epping in the semifinals, Jonathan Buke in the final, uh, and they beat uh, Glenn Howard there in the final with uh, a 6-1 to one win. So exciting for them. And also we'll note that Peter DeCruz continues to do well as we lead into the slam season as he won the event in Basel on yes. Sunday, beating Nicholas Adin seven to five in the final there. And of course, they I don't know if we talked about it on the show, but they did win the series against Yannick Schwaller in a sweep. And if you have not seen the clip of Peter de Cruz, uh, his reaction to winning that series, uh, if you didn't know what team he was on, you would have thought that he had lost. <laughs> Uh, yeah uh, it is very entertaining uh to watch that so uh and then just the other note here that uh warren cross won the mckee holmes fall curling classic so congratulations to them that'll get them a a few points yeah yeah very big congrats for that yeah so uh so there that's it scott anything else from the world of curling for now you know, I, I don't know. I, I managed to catch, like I said, some of that curling on the weekend. I saw the very end of the uh, Gushu Howard game, and it was Mike Harris on the call with uh, Colin the Curler. Hey, nice. Uh, don't know if that's a breach of his uh, contract <laughs> or anything, but uh, no, it was good. Uh, a friend of the show, Mary from Rocks Across the, not Rocks Across the Pond, uh, Mary from Two Girls in a Game podcast was on doing some commentary yes. as well. Uh, always good to hear her voice. So, yeah, feeling uh, feeling pretty good about the whole uh, the whole season of curling really kicking into gear. Excited for this Grand Slam to get started. Yeah, so we are going to be fast and furious here over the next few weeks. We got Slam, then we got the pre trials, then we'll have another Slam, and then we're into the Canadian curling trials in, in this time too. We're also going to have the Euros. We also have the 
the Pacific Asia Championship. We have some other countries who are going to be determining their Olympic representatives. Uh, we are fully loaded as we head into December, uh, and then it'll cool off a little bit, uh, a little bit, but not even that much. Because then we got mixed doubles trials happening over New Year's. Uh, yeah. We are we are just fully loaded here, Scott. This is going to be a fun stretch. Now, I will just forewarn everybody: our episodes talking about the slams in April <laughs> probably won't be as excited about <laughs> them as we are now. But it's it's fun right now as we head into the winter. It's fun right now, and you know what, Sean? We'll try to keep the energy up. We will try our best, uh, but you know those Olympics, man. Ooh, those those yeah. those Olympics. Europe's okay. I can deal with the European Olympics. Like when it was in Sochi, it was fine enough. Uh, but the the Asian Olympics, as we discovered in the summer, they're hard to uh, yeah. to be able to to see everything live. Yeah, it's going to be you know a lot of late nights. Yeah, but in early hope, mornings, hopefully it'll be worth it. Yeah. But day, you know, God bless uh, NBC for paying all that money because they try to cater the schedule as much as they can <laughs> to a North American television audience. Yeah. So. And, and should be able to watch, you know, replays and be on NBC or uh, or on CBC. Yeah, I think we'll be able to see the morning games in Beijing in their entirety before going to sleep, before going to sleep. And then, and then we just have to wake up and get the not night look game. at anything. Watch the night game. Yeah, you probably watch the night game in real time. It's the afternoon. I'm not going to see, in all likelihood, an end of any of the afternoon games. But maybe I will. Who knows? Things happen. We're all working from home. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Uh, so it'll, But it'll be fun. And uh, we have some fun stuff planned as we move forward. Uh, so be sure to subscribe if you have not yet. Wherever it is you get your podcast, you don't want to miss any of the fun and frivolity going forth. And please do leave a review, do some comments, uh, fill out all those things. It helps the algorithms and helps other people find the show. Or if you have friends who just like curling, uh, we love the idea of you know sharing the show around with all your friends, uh, particularly, as we said, as, as things heat up in the world of curling. And of course, if you want to let us know what you want to hear on the show, Game of Stones podcast at gmail.com, or you can find us on social media at Game of Stones Pod. Head on over to gameofstonespod.com, where you can find all of our past episodes and all of the merch that is available. And of course, for the t-shirts, all proceeds to Food Banks Canada, the rest of the items, all proceeds to the Sandra Schmirler Foundation, and we are matching all of those donations. So uh, so a lot of good stuff over there. So Scott, what do you got on tap here uh, on this very warm Tuesday evening here in Ottawa? Well, uh, about, just about supper time. So I'll uh, get some supper ready. Yeah. And I think that's all. Maybe, maybe put some of this baseball on that you told me about. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, enjoy that. I'm going to try to fix my apartment. And uh, we'll see how well that goes. Uh, and if I'm able to do that, we'll be back with you next week. So uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Hopefully we'll be back in a week's time. But of course, until then, keep those brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern. Make the final.